Welcome to yet one more week online. And who knows how long this will go, but at least we are blessed to have this opportunity, the technology of today, to let us talk to one another and uh, at a distance. We are in Ecclesiastes 7. And by the way, being in Ecclesiastes during this time is probably one of the coolest things we've ever ended up doing. When we started Ecclesiastes, we never knew that we might be living Ecclesiastes. And we are. But chapter 7 is its own animal. So if you've got your Bibles, we're about to get to it. But before we do, you need to know that chapter 7 is of a different character than the other chapters we've seen before. It's the same person speaking, so it's not a different character speaking. But it is rather like a miniature book of Proverbs in that a verse by itself can be a discrete unit not related to the verse ahead of it or behind it. And that a lot of these verses are actually stating one thing and then stating its opposite to show and contrast. Because in life, most things aren't as black and white as we'd like it them to be. And, and we have to study the contrast between them. It is laid out actually as an ancient Semitic song. And it has nothing to do with the kind of songs that we sing today. So it throws us a bit when we read this. It's a very strange roadmap, chapter 7 is. It's similar to Proverbs, but you really have to take it a verse at a time. And you're going to find some things in here, especially in the next lesson, that you're going to not like at all, and I don't like at all. And in fact, we I think we can go to Jesus and see a different view. The teacher is really struggling here. He is coming to the hardest part of his struggle. He's run out of things to look at and try and he's gotten rather morbid, but there is a blessing in the morbidity here. And that, that's the strange thing that we need to talk about. As we explained when we did the series on Christian disciplines, when we got to the section on uh, meditation, meditation in Eastern religions is one of two ideas. One is to empty your mind of all thoughts, every thought complete emptiness or to empty your mind of all thoughts and replace it with a nonsensical thought, a mantra, a, a, a phrase or a word, more often a word, that is just repeated again and again so that your mind can let its gates down and become part of the universal consciousness that they, they want you to join. In fact, that's where in some literature and cultural um, phenomena, it's referred to as the lost chord, where people will uh, look for the word om or say the word om, and all they're trying to do is vibrate at the same frequency as the universe. And yes, I think that's as strange as you do. Uh, I think many of us vibrate to our own frequency, do we not? Regardless, in scripture, meditation doesn't mean those things. It means to fill your mind with one valuable, important thought. That's what chapter seven will do to you. Now, sometimes it'll take a verse to do it. Sometimes it'll take several verses to do it. But once we've got that concept in, we're ready to read the first four verses. Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verses one through four. A good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. It, it, it's going to go on like this. 
It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man, and the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. Hang on. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Well, I think that's all very self-explanatory. We don't, no, it isn't. It, it really isn't. It's, um, it's rather mind-boggling and frustrating. And we look at this and go, really? Can we, can we just find a happy song now? Um, can we go somewhere else? But we really do need to go through this valley before we can climb the next mountain. That's the way life is. Deep breath. Everything he said is debatable. Now, am I saying then that God inspired a man to write a book full of errors? No, I'm saying this is his experience and he's trying to express what he is feeling to you. This is not God telling you that you would be better off going to funerals than to feast. Please understand this. This is not God telling you, you know, it's a better day when you die than when you're born. No, no. This is the teacher saying, this is what I see, this is what I feel as I'm trying to find God. And remember the teacher did not have the benefit that we do of having the gospels, of having the books of the New Testament, of having 2000 years uh, past the books of the New Testament, of Christian testimony and Christian understanding of Holy Spirit leading us. He didn't have any of this. If we are in the dark at present about when the, the current viral uh, plague that has hit the world uh, will go away, think about the darkness this guy was in who had never met Jesus, didn't know Jesus, and who by the inspiration of God is just trying to teach us, this is what I've gone through and I'm trying to teach you what I've, what I've learned. Still, it can be offensive. I mean, to say the day of death better than the day of birth, if you've had a stillborn child, that is one of the most awful things you have ever heard. You are offended. You might turn him off at this stage. You might even turn off this sermon at this stage. And who could blame you? Who could blame you? It is, it is that rugged, that harsh, actually. Well, we need to step back sometimes and say, what, what's, what's he trying to get at here? What's the point? He's not trying to offend us. Who are his audience? What are they hearing? Because that seems to be more important than what we hear. In verse one, uh, a good name is better than fine perfume and the day of death better than the day of birth. He's talking about that our challenge is finally over when we die. We're done with the suffering. We're done with the learning. We're done with the overcoming. We have finally crossed the finish line and therefore we can, whew. I can remember when my son got married to a lovely Christian young woman. Uh, our daughter had already been married to a fantastic Christian man. We only had two children. Both of them had been baptized. Both of them were faithful. And whenever they, my, my son and my new daughter-in-law exchanged their I do's, I looked over at my wife and we both had a little relief on our face, like, whew, all right, we've got them this far. They're on their own now. That's rather the feeling that the teacher has about death and that I find, whew, I'm done, I've made it. And I have talked to so many 
faithful, wonderful Christians who in the last years of their life say, you know, I really wasn't planning to live this long and I'm fine if God will just end it and take me home. When I was younger, I didn't really get it, but I get it now. I can, I can think of this a lot, in fact, uh, since my father passed last year and I have an aging mother uh, who so far seems like she's gonna outlive me and uh, enjoy the process, frankly, she's, she's a delight. But whenever the grandsons, for example, come over for a sleepover, it's exhausting. Um, and I'm not sure how to grandparent because we weren't really around our grandparents, but Cammie was born for this job. And so I learned from her. And when people ask, well, why would you go through this or why would you go through that? The answer is, is always, well, it's obvious. We love them and they love us. But there's, there's another one there. I want them to remember me and to remember Cammie with a smile. And to do that, we need to therefore be in their life and make memories. And so we put the effort in. What kind of name are you living, leaving behind for those to remember you by? What will, they, what will they think of you when they think of you? We do want them to think of you. What kind of name are we leaving? That's a very serious issue, especially as you get older and you start thinking about, all right, I don't, have, I don't have much time to change this. I can remember once, years and years ago, we had just moved back to America when Jack Exum came to preach at our church. And uh, he, he made the statement that it was his life's goal to grow up to be a sweet old man. I was 30 years old, I think at the time, 31 maybe. I turned to Cammie and I said, that's a good goal. I think that's what I want to do. And she looked at me for a minute and she goes, you might want to hurry. The woman had a point. If you want to end up somewhere, you're going to need to get started as soon as possible. And I had not grown up as a sweet young man or a sweet anything and still had an awful lot of sharp edges all over me. I was not this cuddly, warm figure you see in front of you now. But we, so it was time to get started, to live a life a noble life, a good life, a kind and a loving life, uh, the kind of life that when Matthew 25 comes into play, we don't feel bad about it at all because we think well, that was kind of us. We fed the hungry, we clothed the, the naked, we visited the people in prison. We were, we, as the um, shortest biography of Jesus says in the book of Acts, he went about doing good. Okay, that's the name I want to leave. In which case, that makes my day of death better than my day of birth because I did it, I made it, I finished it. I, I, I nailed the landing after I, the, this world threw all of its gymnastic moves at me. There was a commercial years ago by a frozen pizza company. And let's get past the horror that is frozen pizza. Uh, the company's name was Tombstone and they had a very fun play on their name. They said, what do you want on your tombstone? And of course, everybody's going, oh no, they're thinking morbid thoughts. And the funny thing was, well, pepperoni or something such as this. But it always reminded me of a cemetery I would walk by on my way to church. And we lived uh, about nine years in, in Morgantown, West Virginia, where West Virginia University is. And the little church that was there, an amazing place full of amazing people, was right uh, just a block away from the cemetery. And there was a beautiful tombstone there, uh, kind of a pinkish granite, I think, uh, rather large. And it only had two names on it, two words entirely, no dates, nothing. Big letters, all caps, 
Plum Rude. Let that settle in for a bit. Plum Rude. That really bothered me. I was thinking, now who would pay the massive amount of money that this stone would have cost? Just to say Plum Rude. Well, I found out later uh, that it was actually a shared plot between two families. They'd put their money together so that they would have a plot there in town. One family's last name was Plum and the other was Rude. Now, we're in the South here. Northerners, you may not uh, understand that in the South, Plum means real or to the bone. So when a Southerner sees Plum Rude, it's like they, this person was absolutely horrifically rude. Not, not the name you want to leave behind. I, I looked at that for the longest time thinking, now they, they shared and they decided to share it. This guy's last name was Rude. These people's last name was Plum. And I guess it's better than Rude Plum, but still. What would you like to be on your tombstone? Well, I'm not gonna have one. I, I don't want a tombstone. Uh, I'm gonna be cremated and my ashes scattered in secret places, I guess. I just want my memorial to be people, people that are poured into, people that I've loved, people that I've helped, people that I've reached out to. And that's the memorial that I can leave behind. I can't leave anything else. I mean, I have guitars, for example, but as so far, none of my grands or kids are really into guitars. And it could very well be that all those will be sold so that they can get more important things like um, sneakers and uh, what, well, computers that last, or iPhones that last two years, which is cool and that's fine, that's okay. I want my memorial not to be the stuff I leave behind, but the way I treated people. And that means I've got to watch myself because I'm not, by nature, a wonderful, loving individual. I will give you a moment to get over your shock. You can pause this presentation if you need extra time. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, I beat my body, this is metaphorical, and bring it into subjection or submission in some versions, so that I, by any means, that I, after I have preached to others, I myself will be rejected. In other words, I don't want to be telling other people how to live and I didn't cross the finish line well. That's a terrifying thing. Now, don't misunderstand Paul. Paul's not trying to say that you might not make it even if you try really hard. And he's not saying that um, he doesn't want to fail uh, because he's made some error in doctrine. No, he's saying he doesn't want to embarrass God. He doesn't want to shame the name of Jesus. He wants to make sure that when he walks in past that veil into the next life that he can say, I, I raised the reputation of Jesus. I didn't lower it. Now, while I'm a vessel of, of God on earth, and so are you, I'm a, I'm a broken vessel, and so are you. I'm an imperfect vessel, and so are you. So let's remember that finishing well is important. Revelation 14, 13. God speaks from the throne saying, blessed are the dead in Christ from now on. Those who die in Christ are happy, blessed, fulfilled, because he's got a well done waiting on the other side. So let's look at Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 4 again. 
see if it shifts a bit, a little. I'm always wary of dramatic shifts in our thinking. Let's let this happen a little bit at a time. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man, and the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. Still pretty tough, isn't it? And verse 3 seems to be a bit out of place when it says that... Um, the, uh, let's see, here we go. Sorrow is better than laughter and a sad face is good for the heart. Wow. But what he means there is a sad face means you're paying attention and you're working on something. He doesn't mean you can't laugh and love and have a great amount of joy on life. But he is saying we cannot coast. The word sad here is more of a set as in I have a job to do. I'm going to do my job. I think of the time when Jesus said he was going to go into Jerusalem and the apostles were saying, don't do that. They want to hurt you there. But the scripture says when they saw his face, they saw it was set for Jerusalem. Wow. Set your face. Do this right. This is what we're going to do and we're going to do it for Jesus. Just very quickly, science talks to us about the second law of thermodynamics, sometimes called the law of entropy. Don't turn off now. This gets better. It means that without outside agency, everything you see ages and falls apart. Everything. There's an old story. Preachers have been telling a story since there have been preachers. Uh, a preacher walking by and seeing this wonderful garden and farm laid out. It's just beautiful. And he saw the, the farmer up on his tractor or behind the oxen, however old the preacher was that told the story. And he goes up to him and compliments him. And he says, God gave you such a beautiful farm. And the farmer hesitated for a minute and he said, yes, but you should have seen the state of it when he had it on his own. I love that story. There are people who do not love that story. There are people who think that story is a bit irreverent. I don't, I don't think God does either. God has called us into partnership with him to make the world better, to make it more beautiful, to, to keep it clean, to keep it lovely, and to make times like frankly, now, the unlovely times, as lovely as we can make them, so that the law of entropy doesn't drag it down into despair and chaos. It only comes with effort. So the sad face means you're paying attention. You got this. If it's always a happy face, it's not going to go anywhere. In fact, the sad face means you see a problem and now you're going to overcome it. Just seeing the problem and not fixing it or working on it or finding a way around it, that's not good for you. But setting your face to find a way over it is good for the heart. We, um, we have an expression, necessity is the mother of invention. And I love that expression because it's very true. What you might not know is that that has been in some form or another in the human experience now for well over 2,000 years. Necessity is a mother of invention is the way I heard it. Plato said it. Our need will be the real creator. For example, you can't come to the 4th Avenue building right now. So what are we doing? We are creating and finding new ways to get to you. Whether we use little video apps like Zoom or YouTube or the like, or whether we, we even go for a little Snapchat stuff and Marco Polo and all of these are apps. If you're 
uh, like me and you need to be shown things by your grants, we are creating things to solve a new issue, bring order and bring community at a very time the world says, no, no, I'm busting up the community. We're finding closer ways to get together. Our need is the real creator. The Oxford English Dictionary uh, puts it this way. When the need for something becomes imperative, you are forced to find ways of getting or achieving it. The Cambridge Dictionary, of course, is going to have to phrase it its own way. Uh, Ox, uh, Oxford and Cambridge have been at each other. Uh, if you really need to do something, you will find a way to do it. Another old preacher story, which is pretty much past its sell-by date here, but I got to use it. Fair enough. We have, we have a little bit of time here. Stories told that there's a butter churn. Anybody under, uh, what, 60? Here's a butter churn. A butter churn was this wooden bucket that was tall and had a lid on it with a hole. And inside that hole would be a stick. On the other side of the stick would be a paddle. And you'd pour milk in there. You had to milk the cows, goats, whatever you had. Um, put it in there. And then somebody had to do this. Just completely you know, working on, on, the, um, on, on the churn for hours and hours and hours. I don't know how long because I, I never had to do it. But after you keep working the milk, all of the butter fat comes to the top and settles and you have butter, right? So stories told of a butter churn that the lid was off, but it was full of milk and two frogs found their way into it. They were not able to jump out. It's, it's too, the milk is not all the way up to the top, so they can't jump out. After paddling and paddling and paddling, one of them says, I, I give up. This is insurmountable. The other one does not. The next morning, the farmer's wife comes out and finds two frogs in the churn. One is drowned. Another is sitting happily on the butter. If you have a need and you know you have a need, you will find a way to do it. So let's put it all together. After we hear from Jesus, in John chapter 9, in verse 4, As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Let's get it done. Let's do the job. Let's set our face. There's no reason for pitiful and why me. You can grieve things, and you can grieve people. And I think right now we're grieving some people, but we're also grieving the loss of things sports and our kids dreams and their schools and our schedule and some people's jobs and the economy i mean this is satan is meant for this to be an atomic bomb to blow us to pieces we have to find a way to make this a blessing and take it away from him but we got to do it now work while it's day night's coming when you're not going to be able to work john um i'm sorry james jesus's brother reminds us of this when he says life is but a vapor it appears and it is gone listening last week to evan and dean in their sermon uh, and i really appreciate them preaching for me i i was actually here but whenever they were scheduled to preach i was supposed to be in oklahoma and of course that fell apart but i wasn't going to take the sermon from them let them preach so last week, they kept talking about this meaningless, this vanity. What does this word mean? There's another word for it, which we don't use very often. Ephemera. Ephemera. It's a very important word to know. 
it means things that appear only sporadically, temporarily, and they're gone. In libraries, sometimes, if you go to the periodicals section, that's the magazines and newspapers, there will be a shelf off to the side at labeled ephemera, which means they only published one of these. Or this one only publishes when they have something to say, and that might not be for several years. These rarely show up. Ephemera shelf. Life is ephemera. There's, life is a vapor that quickly goes away. Therefore, it is precious. My son's six foot five, and I know everybody knows where to get his height. He got it from me. Fair enough. I wasn't using mine. So I'm a donor. I'm a height donor. Um, it's, I don't like to brag about myself, but I'm a generous man that way. <clears throat> the, when he was a boy, anytime he wanted to play, I played with him to the best of my ability. Sometimes job would get in the way, but most of the time I'd find a way to do it. If we wanted, I would help him with his schooling. I would do whatever I could do because I knew there'd be a last time. When my daughter would uh, reach up to hold my hand, I took it. Uh, sometimes she'd reach over and I'm sitting in a chair reading and she'd put her hand on my book and push it down. She'd go, no books. Fair enough. Why? Because there'll be a last time. Therefore, every time is precious. Every time that you say, I love you, that's precious. Every time that you do something good, that's, that's precious. I've told my wife many times, you know, I'll look down at my plate and I'll see things like butternut squash, which I didn't know was a thing. Or, and I'll see a salad made and, and made with beauty and dried fruit. And uh, I gotta tell you, when I was growing up, salads were, were pretty much non-existent. And if you had one, they were horrid things that, that were just a bunch of straw tasting things put together or even worse, encased in jello. What demonic idea that was. I have no idea, but it's wrong. And if you still do it, stop it. But I'll see her salads there and it has, it has you know, sugared walnuts and it has dried fruit in it and the like. And, and I'll, I'll see all this food and I'll look at her and I'll say, this is something I would have never had this is something I would have never known had you not given it to me. Thank you. And there are so many ways that she beautifies my world. And some of them I'll never get. I don't understand the whole Tetris, Jenga, tower, pillow thing on beds. But I, I have a diagram so I know how to make the bed. Uh, and that's um, when she shifts it and moves it around, she does give me a 30-day grace period to work with it. But that's not the point. The point is this. Uh, she makes things beautiful, and so I thank her for it. Why? Because this is ephemera. I will not always have this. A dear, dear shepherd of the church there in West Virginia uh, resigned from being one of the elders and had to be placed into assisted living with his wonderful wife. And I went in to see him and uh, said, Byron, how are you doing? And he looked around and he said, well, I'm glad I don't have a box of matches. I had no idea where this thing was going. So I said, why, why is that, Byron? And he said, because I wouldn't have a place to put him. By that he meant, I've, I've gone from my house now to this tiny thing. Yeah, there is, there's a time when I, that's gonna happen. So why don't we enjoy all the ride in between? There is evil about, but since our life is temporary, let's face it now. Let's challenge it now. Let's fix it 
now. Let's not wait until all the conditions are right and I'm very well rested and there is no more danger. We have the contingencies sorted and we've got a cash bonus back here that we'll be able to use in reserve. No, we will work with God right now, right here, whatever comes down the road, we will adapt, we will improvise, we will overcome, we will find a way past it in the name of Jesus so that when we get past the finish line, we have left behind the name of Jesus, elevated, because we were his people here. And our memorial will be his words in Matthew 25. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. What a memorial that would be. And by the way, scripture indicates that there's more coming. This is our gymnasium. Earth is where we train. Earth is where we learn. Something else is coming. What it is, I have no clue. And it, it can be fun to think about, but let's just put it this way. Let's learn what we can learn and do what we can do while we can. So that when they come to our funeral, They'll say, come into this house of mourning is a joy because we know he made it, she made it, and we know what they left behind. This too shall pass, brothers and sisters. I look forward to the time we can gather again, but until then, set your face toward doing good and let's get it done.